What's going on, everybody? TGIF. Yeah, that's right. Thank God it's football time in Houston on a Friday. Yeah, that doesn't quite fit into the TGIF. I was going for thank God it's Friday. Then I thought about football and throwing you off a little bit. But either way, glad you are with me tonight. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. We've got plenty for you on this Friday edition as you get away for the weekend. Hopefully you had a four-day week and celebrated Memorial Day the right way and gave thanks to the proper people, not only in your lives, but obviously those that gave their lives to uh, fight for this country. Um, and so it wasn't just a three-day weekend. You actually took some time uh, to give thanks uh, in the appropriate tip of the cap uh, to those that perished for this country. But it'll be a normal weekend, Saturday, Sunday, back at it on Monday. But we got plenty for you tonight to at least hold you over, if you will, until we get back at it on Monday. How about a little Terod Taylor? Yes, exclusive, one-on-one with Mark Vandermeer and myself. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But also on the show, a little Texans audio jukebox with head coach David Culley and linebacker Camu Grugier hill Now, on Monday, you'll hear a little bit more from the linebacker on Drew's Dozen, which Drew hit me up. He's like, hey, I, I can I hit you with something? And I said, sure. So there's going to be some good stuff to come out of that because he hit me up to kind of get some thoughts about interviewing uh, Kamu uh, uh, yesterday. So we'll have that for you on Monday. But we'll have a little Texas Audio jukebox to hear from the linebacker himself. And we will also go men behind the mics in our final segment Mark Vandermeer sits down with the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, a guy we've gotten to know over the years, and what a fine gentleman. And boy, it hurts to say that about anybody with the Indianapolis Colts, but it is true. And I'll be honest, I can say that about a lot of people with the Colts, a lot of fine people. Gerard Johnson's up there coaching. Uh, Chris Ballard is from Texas City and a guy I've known a long time. Frank Reich is a just straight stand-up dude. And so is Matt Taylor the play-by-play voice of the Colts. He sat down with Mark Vandermeer, and it's always a lot of fun when those two get together. So we've got plenty for you, but let's kick it off and hit you right in the face with it. One-on-one, Tarod Taylor. Well, it's actually two-on-one, Mark Vandermeer and myself. We discussed before we got on the air about Tyrod, Tarod. He said, look, you can call me whatever you want. So throughout this interview, we, I think we kind of mixed it all up, trying to get a feel for it. But your Houston Texans quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, and myself, John Harris, and Mark Vandermeer, right about now. Tyrod Taylor joining us here on Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Well, welcome to the Texans, Tyrod, and tell Thank us you. what it's been like so far for you, OTAs, just being here in Houston, getting acclimated to the organization. Um, That's really what it's been about, is getting acclimated. I mean, of course, last year, um, we didn't have this time to spend with with one another players wise, like just in the off season. So just being around the facility, learning one another, some uh, new faces, some familiar faces, some guys that I've uh, played against over the years, um, some guys that I've known just off the field, but us being able to get on the field and communicate and, and go out and compete and get better each and every day is what it's been about. And I think um, guys have came in with the right attitude, the right mindset and just getting better each and every day and carrying this, uh, this portion of the off season and using momentum to take us into training camp. When you realize where you are now versus last year, I'm not talking proximity. I'm talking about COVID, no offseason, versus having an offseason now with guys around and such. Have you realized how important the connectedness, connectivity is amongst teammates to be a really good football team? 
Yes, for sure. I mean, this time is definitely um, a crucial time, especially when you have uh, a team um, like ours. We, we've signed a bunch of guys, myself included, over the offseason. Um, so there's a bunch of new faces in the building. So this time is, is definitely central for us just to bond and to grow. And just like I said, to learn one another. I mean, ultimately, us uh, building a relationship with our coaches, but more importantly, with ourselves and keeping the camaraderie throughout the locker room uh, positive and in a in a just just good energy throughout the building. Tyrod, the quarterback situation being what it is and you coming in, you've been in new situations before, like you said, how important is leadership and how have you gotten better at that over the years? Because you've been thrust into some situations where you got to be the leader and this is one of them right now. So how is that for you? Um, it's, it's, it's been good. Um, uh, first, just thankful for, for the opportunity that I get to, to play. So um, each and every year, it's definitely a blessing. Um, it's, it's, it's me living out my dream, but Ultimately, being able to lead a team um, is, 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 is what I live for. I mean, it's, I've been a quarterback since I was uh, five years old. Um, to take on the leadership role is something that I embrace. Um, and, of course, when you play with, uh, with, with younger guys, they lean on leadership. Uh, we have a bunch of veteran leadership throughout this locker room. But, of course, a lot of people and uh, players and coaches are going to look to see how the quarterback responds. And that's, that falls on my shoulders. Um, it's something that comes natural, but at the same time, it's just – uh, you have to do it in your own way. And um, I think I've I've just learned from my experiences, um, personal experiences and the experiences that I've seen through other guys and other people that I've been around that are leaders um, um, and respected leaders throughout this league. And how important is it to you, Tarad, to share that with the young guys, your experience? And, you know, you've been there. You've played in playoff games. You've been a backup at times. You've been the star. You've kind of run the gamut as a, as a quarterback in this league. How important is it for you to share those experiences with the young guys? I mean, Mark and I, we talked about this a lot. We've seen you on hard knocks. Like, we've seen you do it. But how important is it to you to be able to do that? Um, I think it's just something that has to be um, – uh, has to come natural. I mean, you have to be authentic. Um, your leadership definitely goes a long way when it's, when it's received um, as an authentic um, gesture or just leadership. Um, of course, you can't be stingy um, with the information. I think it's in, it's vital that just your team um, just sees you go out there and lead. Like I said, when I came into the league, I walked into the locker room with guys like Ray Lewis, uh, Anquan Bolden, Ed Reed, um, even Joe Flacco, I mean, who was still young at the time, but still was a leader throughout uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. And those guys didn't hold any information. Um, and some guys, like I said, lead in their own way. Some people are – um, lead by example, but um, at some point at the quarterback position, you're going to have to be vocal. And um, as long as you're doing things the right way day in and day out, then guys respect you and I think guys gravitate towards you. Tarod, what can you tell us about this offensive system, how it's developing right now? I know it's only early June here, but how it suits you and how it's going so far? Um, it's, 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 I think it suits me well. Um, it allows me to get the ball um, out of my hand fast, uh, move in the pocket, but also uh, more importantly, we have playmakers um, at all positions, and um, it's my job to get the ball to those guys. And I think our system um, definitely helps, uh, like I said, take advantage of or allow those guys to to use their uh, their strengths and allow them to go out there and make plays. I know Coach Cully is probably talking about you to the media, so I want to ask you about him. We've talked to a lot of different people about David Cully, but you've been there. You've been in that quarterback room with him. You've seen him in different iterations throughout his career. What can you tell us about David Culley and what does he uh, bring to the table as a head coach of the Texans? A great leader. Um, he's a 
great man, first and foremost, but a great leader. Um, he stood by his word since the day that I met him. Of course, he was my QB coach in, uh, in Buffalo. And I even had a chance to talk to him and keep in communication as he moved on to uh, Baltimore and as I moved on to Cleveland and even in, in L.A., um, just still talking and, and staying um, in contact. But just having a conversation uh, with him when I signed and then just to see him interact with the guys out on the field, um, definitely uh, happy for him to have this opportunity, but also um, – just think that he's the man for the job. Uh, but I, like I said, I respect him to the utmost and looking forward to going out there and leading the troops alongside him as well. Tell Rod Taylor with us. I always thought you were an inspiration because there you were in Baltimore. And I don't know if the pundits thought, okay, this guy's going to be an automatic starter someday, but you end up being a starter in Buffalo and you're part of this Bill's Renaissance. What was it like waiting for that opportunity and working for that opportunity and knowing that if you put the time in, you're likely to get it, or maybe you don't know if you're going to get it, but what was that like? Uh, truthfully, it was frustrating early on. I mean, because I'm thankful, like I said, for the opportunity to be drafted, but I, up until that point, I never um, had to sit uh, in high school. I played early in college. I played early. Um, so it was a time for me to sit back and kind of reflect and also learn from, learn from the great guys that we had in the locker room. I mean, we won a lot of games. Um, a lot of conversation in the locker room, a lot of conversation on the field, seeing a lot of good ball, seeing a lot of stuff that I could just learn from. And that I think that throughout those times and uh, throughout those years in Baltimore, me learning um, the game, learning uh, how to lead, just learning everything, taking being a sponge and taking in the information from the players and the coaches throughout those four years just kind of prepared me for the next opportunity that I would get, which would be to compete for a starting job in Buffalo. And I used everything that I learned up in those four years. And I've, taking that method up until year 11 now. I've used every year as something uh, to learn from. And uh, whether it was good or bad, um, I mean, you, you want to come out of a better player the following year, and I think I've done that. Interesting you talk about playing early in high school and college. I seem to remember being in Tiger Stadium week two of the <laughs> 2007 season when a young Terod Taylor came off the bench and all of a sudden got Virginia Tech kind of back in the game a little bit. But it got me thinking one, about one touchdown. that game. Yeah, one touchdown. Um, we won't say the score, but I remember that. The other reason I remember that was because when you came in the game, you were the only player on the Virginia Tech side of the field that could match speed for speed with LSU. Mm-hmm. I remember you scrambled once. I was like, they can't catch him. That was, that was different than what was going on in that game. But it made me think about the environment last year, COVID, 2020, no fans. LSU, obviously, that night was crazy because LSU ended up winning a national championship that year. What's the most intimidating environment you've ever played in? Pro, college, high school. Mm. Or just give us a few. It might be hard to pick one. That night night at LSU was definitely definitely a tough environment. It wasn't – it was more so because of the element of surprise. Uh, I mean, at the time, I was supposed to be redshirted, and it was three – it was a starter and two other quarterbacks in front of me. So, to have the redshirt strip mid-game was more so just a (laughs) – It was a surprise. It was like, whoa, like I'm in. Like, but yeah, I couldn't. There was no time to think about it then. But looking back on it, I tell that story now, and it's like, wow, that actually did happen. People don't believe it happened. But um, yeah, I would say the college games. I mean, NFL, there are certain places that are that are louder than others, but nothing to the point where it's intimidating. College is probably like the most hostile environments to me, though. All right. I mean, the one you, the one you played in, obviously. Yeah, when they started, yeah. You know, it wasn't hostile to me. Yeah, it wasn't hostile to me, but Blacksburg is one of the best stadiums I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
tough place. Terod Taylor with us. Tell us about Jeff Driscoll and Davis Mills a little bit, how they're doing. They're out there in the practice field with you right now. They're doing a good job. Um, everyone's communicating. It's open conversation. Of course, we're all learning this system for the first time. Um, and everyone's helping one another. Of course, when you go out there, whether it's routes on air, whether it's uh, uh, team on air, wh whatever drill we're doing, we're always competing because I believe that just going out and being the best version of yourself uplifts that room. And it, it's contagious throughout the whole offense but um, and the whole team. But, yeah, um, those guys are doing a great job. Um, and they're taking it one day at a time, just like I am, and just trying to be better each day. What is the most difficult part, Ty, about learning a new offense? You, you've been in a few different ones, but what's the most difficult part? Is there a difficult part for you in that? Say, I mean, verbiage can be different. Left, yeah, right was, can be different. What yeah, I would, I would say, um, I guess, a year 11, um, because – for the most part, you've seen, I've seen a lot of the same concepts. And of course they're called different things. So for me, right. it's not reverting back to old language. I would say it's, 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 it's the toughest part. Um, as far as picking it up, it's, it's not bad, but just throwing out old terms and not revert. Like I say, reverting back to anything that's old. All right. I'm going to be Johnny to the punch with this question. Well, Houston, do it. food, uh, barbecue, Tex-Mex. What do you like it out there? How do you like the city and the uh, culinary choices? I'm still um, getting used to it. I, I personally don't eat any red meat, chicken, or turkey, right. so I know that throws a lot of restaurants out of the window, but I love <laughs> seafood. And, um, a couple of the guys went out to eat last night. Um, I guess I could say that. We were back, we, Yeah, I guess I guess I could say that. Yeah, you're fine. It's stuff going on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, good? I had some good Dover soul last night at a spot called – well, I won't get them any free pub, but it was good. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Good. <laughs> All right, Tarad, thanks so much for being with us. We look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. I'm not distraught, but I am a little disappointed because that's my question. I like to ask the food question, but I get it. It's so funny. I brought that game with Tarad, and I hopefully we'll get a chance to talk offline about that. But I'll never forget that 2007, second game of the year, LSU going to win a national championship that year. It was my first trip to Baton Rouge, and we went, Sean Pendergast and I went to that game. And it was just amazing. We're sitting up in the press box and watching this game, and it's like LSU is just destroying them. It's not even close. I mean, the best athlete Virginia Tech at the time was Dwayne Brown, and they just looked slow, and it looked bad. Tyrod comes into the game, and it's a whole different ball game. Unfortunately, uh, it had already gotten away from Virginia Tech at that point, but it was like, man, I think they found something with number five going on the field. Um, he was doing some tremendous things that night and had a tremendous Virginia Tech career and just had a great NFL career and hopefully continues that with your Houston Texans. All right, we get back to a little Texans audio jukebox with David Cully and Camus Grugier-Hill next on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, the mobile version. And by mobile, it just means away from our normal studio, which... I guess at this point, I don't know what is normal because, well, my house hopefully will never be on wheels or in a flood on water. You get the point. I'm at my house, basically. And that's become our studio these days. And it's not bad. Not bad, if I'd say so. The commute's kind of nice from up the stairs to down the stairs. A little bit better than trying to navigate 69 and 610 traffic at 730 in the morning. Ah, wow. Anyways. Let's get into this Texans Audio Jukebox. Yes. I love Texans Audio Jukebox because you get to hear from the particular individuals we're going to hear from 
And then I try and fill in the gaps if anything is needed. So let's hear from head coach David Cully. And he was asked about Terod Taylor. We, you heard Terod in the first segment with us. He's fantastic as we expected him to be. And we were thankful for that. We won't take that for granted because he is just, he's awesome. And, and hopefully he is going to play awesomely this year. Hope that's the right adverb to use. But hopefully he's going to be a big asset. And coach was asked, whether Terod is where the Texans want him to be. Yes, he is, John. And and the thing about him is he's been in all of the Zoom meetings. So it's not like he doesn't know where we're at or what we're doing at this point, been in OTAs. He's been in all the meetings. Uh, it's just recently we just got him on the field. And and you can tell by what we've seen on the field, John, that he's he's been he's been listening. He's been picking up the offense. And and this time of year. What we're trying to do here is with all of those guys at the, that position and along with these other positions is just to learn what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I, I feel like from what we've seen out there the last uh, few days that he is right where we feel like he should be. I feel like this is a storyline that most people know in the city of Houston, but it does bear repeating for those that may not know. But in Buffalo, Terod Taylor was the starting quarterback, led the Bills to the playoffs in 2017 is the first time in Buffalo since 1999, the Music City Miracle and all that. Well, his quarterback's coach was David Cully. So he had plenty of experience with the head coach. And one of those experiences that he had in 2017 was Sean McDermott attempting to get Nathan Peterman an opportunity out on the field and it almost cost the Bills. Terod took a step back when Peterman flamed out. Taylor came back in and took over. Coach Cully talked about what he learned about his quarterback at that particular point when Terod had to take a step back and then came back into the starting lineup. That he's a professional through and through. Uh, didn't like it. Uh, no one would have. Uh, but he handled it like a pro supposed to handle, like a guy with class would handle things. And then basically the very next week, he was back in the lineup and was able to help lead us to the playoffs because of that. And that just goes to show the professionalism he has and the experience that he's been around. And, uh, and it worked out for everybody involved. With, I think, one exception, that being uh, Nathan Peterman. It didn't go exceptionally well for Nathan Peterman. And we found that out the next year when he replaced Josh Allen. Threw a touchdown and got the Bills the lead. Then he threw a game-ending pick six, basically, to Jonathan Joseph. But it did turn out, I think, very, very well for the Bills that year. And Terod Taylor was the perfect guy to have at that particular time. He was asked, Coach Cully was, about the defensive line and how that group is coming together. Now, you can't tell a whole lot in OTAs. You can see guys on the hoof. But with some of these guys, when you see them on a hoof, it starts to get you kind of excited about maybe what that group can do. Here's Coach on this D-line. Well, the, the experience that, that you just mentioned there with the guys that have come from other places mixed in with the guys that we have here. And, and again, I'm going to go back to what we said we wanted to create when we first came here and with these free agents and with our draft picks is competition. And, and Aaron, what happens is competition makes people better and good players want to be better. And the quickest way and the best way to get that is with competition. And we've created that here, not only at that position, but at all positions, because this time of year, it, it, it's not really about evaluation so much as it is about 
learning the system, learning about what our culture is, establishing what our culture is. And, and, and you know, quite frankly, we don't, we don't have what we call starters. Everybody works with everybody here. You know, everybody works with every group and that's how you create that. So you, there's no feeling that this is his job or that's his job. The feeling is, is it's everybody's job. Whoever the best person is for that particular position, that's going to be their job. And, and in the fall, uh, when we start training camp, that'll all come together. It feels like every spot on this roster is one that is ripe for competition, including the running back competition where Rex Burkhead was added. Shameless plug, actually not shameless plug. I wrote an article about this at HoustonTexans.com. Go check it out, at Football on my Twitter feed. I did some digging and diving into some numbers and it's it's kind of interesting to me that what what came out of it and really kind of led me to believe that the signing of Rex Burkhead makes a lot more sense than a lot of people out there thought. Now I've I thought this already, but the numbers sort of back me up on that. So go check out my article. Let's hear from Coach Cully talking about Rex Burkhead and the running back competition. Well, Brandon, that same competition is all over the field here. Now, what happened is Rex has been a good football player during his career. And basically when there's good football players out there and you have a chance to be able to bring them to be a part of what you're doing and what you're trying to build, you do that. And, and, and obviously Nick had some, had some uh, background with him. Uh, we all know uh, what he's been in this league and, and we had an opportunity to get him to add to the mix and we added him to the mix and I'm happy to have him here with us and, and, and to get right in the mix of what we're doing uh, with the competition at that position also. All right, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball and no longer with a coach, but with a player. Linebacker Camus Grugier-Hill also met with the media. And, of course, you got to ask a guy when he's coming to Houston, why are you coming to Houston? Here's what he had to say. I mean, I, I love it out here, man. It's, it's funny because I, I told my agent uh, when I was a young player, I was like, if I ever get a, a chance to play for a Texas team, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I don't know. It's just, you know, the hospitality around here and, and just the love that I feel from the people. It's definitely uh, very similar to um, back home. So, I mean, I'm loving it back here. That man is from Hawaii and saying he loves being in Texas. How about that? That's pretty darn cool. Now, he is coached by not only Lovey Smith, but at the linebacker position, he's coached by Lovey's son, Miles Smith. So here's what he had to say on Lovey's style of coaching compared to Miles, Lovey's son's style of coaching. It's hard not to see Miles in, in, in uh, Lovey and Miles, you know, but um, like, I think they're, they're a little different. They definitely have their own coaching styles. Um, Coach Lovey is a legend, you know, he, he's, he's been doing this a long time, so he has his own way. And you can see that Miles is, is definitely trying to do his own, his own style too. So, um, but it, it works and, um, you know, we got a great, um, camaraderie in our room right now. Um, the linebackers are real tight already, and um, I like where we're going. Although he spent the majority of his career with the Philadelphia Eagles, Camus Grugier-Hill was drafted by the New England Patriots, and someone important in that was Nick Casario. Here's what Camus had to say about working under Nick Casario and the certain standard that Nick requires of not only his players, but everybody in the organization. Yeah, you know, I get, I get that, que- that question a lot. Is it, you know, a Patriot connection? I, I truthfully think, you know, God God has really had his hand and his grace over my entire life. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to play in this league for a while now. And, and honestly, that's just kind of just how the league works. You know, you you see familiar faces. You know, I have guys on this team that I played in Philly with. 
um, there's, there's all kinds of different connections, Miami. So, um, I think that's just really how the league works, but, um, I think the way I'm very happy with how things are being ran here and, and the way things are, you know, going, I know that, you know, last year, whatever, there was a different, um, perception of that, but, you know, coming in this year, I, I can, I think I speak for a lot of guys saying that, um, we love the culture and we love, um, you know, just, just kind of the, the leadership and, and the, the way things are being ran here. And of course, when the linebacker steps to the podium, you know, somebody's going to sneak in and ask his nose question. So here is KGH on how linebackers can help with coverage. Well, I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. You know, you got faster guys, you get a tighter coverage. Um, and, you know, our D-line is, is great right now. Um, we got, our, we brought in a bunch of DBs that, that look like they can strap up. So um, I, I'm excited. Uh, that's the only really phrase I can, I can say right now is that I'm excited for, for all of it. Now, I'm not the podium critic that Landry Locker is, but I love to listen to our guys at the podium. I think David Cully and Kamu Grugier-Hill getting A-pluses over here. And, yes, Figgy hit that Texans radio button. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we get back. It's time to go men behind the mics with our own Mark Vandermeer. And this week, it is Indianapolis Colts play-by-play man, Matt Taylor, joining us to finish out this Friday show on Texans All Access. We got one final segment of this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter. Glad to be with you. And it's time for a guy that used to be in my position, silent reporter. For another team, obviously, who is now a play-by-play voice for his team. He's made that climb up and the play-by-play voice of our team. So all worlds are colliding with this one, but he's a good friend of ours, Matt Taylor, play-by-play voice of the Indianapolis Colts. The men behind the mics, Matt Taylor with our own Mark Vandermeer. Mark, take it away. Joining us right now, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Matt, so here we are coming out of COVID into OTAs. How's it been going for you and Indianapolis? It's going well. The Colts uh, were one of the teams that had an abbreviated uh, off-season workout program. You know, normally you have in, in years past, you know, non-COVID years, if you will, Mark, you have, you know, the 13 OTA periods and three days of minicamp in June. Um, you know, the Colts were one of those teams that adapted uh, this year, and uh, the coaches and the, and, the, and the players got together and came to a little bit of a compromise and said, uh, give us two weeks. Um, and, and we won't do anything rigorous on the field. We're going to do, you know, mostly uh, walk through, uh, you know, playbook install stuff for, for the younger guys so they can get up to speed mentally. As you know, Mark, there's only so many things you can really grasp and, and get accomplished on Zoom. So the Colts thought it was a good idea to get at least, you know, some on the field uh, work done, um, you know, with, with position groups and doing some individual stuff. They didn't have any seven-on-seven or 11-on-11 full go stuff that you normally see during OTA periods. But I thought it was really important for the Colts to get on the field, especially having um, some some new coaches at some really important um, position groups, if you will, on the coaching staff. You've got a new quarterback in Carson Wentz. You're going to have a new left tackle uh, with Anthony Costanzo deciding to retire this offseason. So I thought it was important for the Colts to at least have two weeks um, of, of on-field work activity, even though it wasn't strenuous this offseason. All right, so let's start there with the uh, left tackle situation. So the running game does change here, but it was really good last year, and Taylor had a really nice debut. You get Mac back, right? So tell us a little bit about what's going on up front and the ground attack. 
Well, I think on paper, the Colts could have the best running back group in the NFL. I mean, as you said, Marlon Mack is back. He was a free agent signing, and he missed basically all of 2020 minus two quarters because he tore his Achilles in week one in Jacksonville last year. It was really unfortunate for him because he was coming off a 1,000-yard season in 2019 heading into a contract year, and then, boom, it's just all done. Um, But then Jonathan Taylor was able to emerge, and he hit some speed bumps along the way last year, and he kind of – uh, it, it needed to take himself some time to kind of find out what this NFL uh, was all about for him and, you know, how the game and the speed of the game changed coming from Wisconsin. But I tell you what, towards the end of the season, really about the halfway point of last year, he really came on. I mean, he finished third in the NFL in rushing, led all rookies last year in rushing. I mean, there was a stretch towards the end of the year where he was averaging over 70 yards uh, rushing per game. And um, so that that just kind of speaks to his consistency and his ability to kind of figure out this game. Uh, but as you said, uh, you know, the offensive line is the same but different, if that makes any sense, because they do have a, a new left tackle, which arguably is the most important uh, you know, uh, offensive line position on any football team. But considering that, Carson Wentz is now the quarterback of the Colts and he was sacked 50 times last year with the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, led the NFL in sacks taken. Um, it's really, really important for the Colts to figure that out because what you don't want uh, Carson Wentz to be doing is kind of, you know, looking over his shoulder and wondering, Hey, when am I going to get hit or how am I going to get hit? So um, it's really, really important for the Colts to figure that out. Eric Fisher was signed a couple of weeks ago in free agency, but of course, as we know, he tore his Achilles, uh, with the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. So his availability is not going to be there, you wouldn't think, the first couple of games of the season. And if you look at the first couple of games of the season for the Colts, Mark, it is it is sort of murderer's row. It's sort of like what the Texans faced last year to begin the season. You mean all playoff teams, uh, you know, their first five games are against teams that won at least 10 games last year. And with the AFC being so loaded and being so competitive, Every game is going to be so important for the Colts and any team that wants to make the playoffs. I mean, we saw it last year. The Colts were 11-5, and but barely got in. They were the seventh and final team in the AFC postseason picture. Um, So that that means every game is so crucial. If you go back to last season, the Colts dropped a week one game in Jacksonville that I alluded to. Had they won that game, you know, they, they win the AFC South, they win the division, they host a playoff game, and things are a little bit different. So those first five games of the season are going to tell us, you know, how viable the Colts are and kind of the barometer on if this team is a playoff team and if they can kind of navigate that early part of the schedule with a new left tackle and a new quarterback. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us. All right, so tell us what you can about Wentz right now. I know there hasn't been a ton of work, so how does he look? I guess you haven't had a long look at him but what's the prognosis here what's the projection of how Wentz is going to be in this offense well what they're talking about right now is sort of reorganizing the playbook for Carson Wentz it's not changing the scheme it's not changing the offense it's the Colts have been as you know Mark they've been a team that's sort of had to pivot and adjust on the fly with Andrew Luck deciding to retire and Jacoby Brissett the quarterback and then a uh, chance to bring in Phillip Rivers, then he retires. So you're talking about four different starting quarterbacks mm. 
four years in a row. I mean, that just doesn't happen, especially at a place like Indianapolis where, you know, this fan base was just so used to two decades, if you will, of quarterback stability with Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. I know Texans fans don't like to hear about that, but that's that's what yeah. they were used to around here. So you're going to have a, a, a fourth different starting quarterback four years in a row. That's the first time in the history of the Colts franchise that's occurred. So what they're doing right now is sort of taking pages from uh, what Andrew Luck did a couple of years ago that may be in the middle of the playbook or the back of the playbook. And now they're bringing those pages and those plays to the front of the playbook to accommodate Carson Wentz. So I don't think it's going to be a huge change in scheme and, and a formula to move the ball down the field, but I do think it's going to be some subtleties here and there, you know, maybe some more RPOs. I mean, Phillip Rivers, Mark, was so get the ball out fast, an insane uh, completion percentage. I mean, last year routinely he was over 70% completion percentage, uh, was, you know, Sunday in and Sunday out. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know if you can expect that from Carson Wentz, the Colts would like to have him get the ball out and be pinpoint accurate, but he's a little bit more mobile. He's deceptively mobile. He's got some speed to his game. He's certainly got the arm strength that Andrew Luck had. So maybe some more deep shots, traditional deep shots down the field, get guys going like T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell is coming back from an injury from last season. So I think they're going to get see your more traditional deep shots down the sidelines with those guys, whereas last year the Colts got their chunk plays but there's a lot of yards after the catch, some crossers and overs from Rivers, who was really good at doing that. Uh, but I think this this offense is going to look more like it did with 2000, in 2018 when Andrew Luck was at the helm. Well, Matt, we all know T.Y. still can bring it if he's healthy. And as you mentioned, Campbell's coming back. And the pundits are saying that the Colts are or should be perhaps a target for the Julio Jones sweepstakes. Who knows what happens there? But do they need more help in the pass-catching department? Do they like what they have currently? And I guess this is a loaded question. It's all predicated on health, right? I mean, if everybody's healthy, you could be okay. Sure. I mean, yeah, you've got a lot of options right now. And to be honest with you, I really don't know where the Julio Jones – uh, stuff comes from um, because uh, you know I mean if that's true then you know I mean every team would like to add playmakers but I mean the Colts are a team if you look at kind of how they won games last year and how they operated their offense from a season ago they were a very uh, high volume offense in terms of getting people involved every Sunday I mean every single game last year at least seven different pass catchers caught a ball um, so they're, 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 they're a team that definitely likes to get their tight ends involved, and that's where Kylan Granson, who they drafted in the fourth round out of SMU, comes into play. They think he can kind of be that Trey Burton or Eric Ebron hybrid role. Or you know, if you go back to Frank Reich's um, tenure in, in Philadelphia, kind of that Zach Ertz, you know, uh, red zone, third down type of role. Um, so they've got that. They've still got uh, Mo Ali Cox and Jack Doyle. We already talked about all the running backs with Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines, who is a sort of a third down specialist. Uh, you know, he can you know, line up in the slot. He can be a running back. He can even split him out wide a little bit. So they like his versatility. And then T.Y. Hilton coming back, Michael Pittman, who they think can eventually be that number one wide receiver um, after T.Y. Hilton, uh, his tenure with the Colts comes to an end. Um, so they, they, they've got a lot of options 
and they've got some playmakers, but they just need to stay healthy. You know, Mack last year, Campbell last year, T.Y. Hilton has been banged up, you know, two out of the last three years. So, yes, it does make sense on, on the surface to always kind of see what's out there on the open market, but you've got enough playmakers to move the ball and have a successful offense based on what you're returning and bringing in uh, from one offseason to the next. Matt, give me something on the defense. How's it looking for 2021? Yeah, defensively, you no longer have Justin Houston, and you no longer have Danico Autry. Houston's still a free agent. He's well over the age of 30. Autry was lost in free agency to the Tennessee Titans. And you talk about those first the first five games of the season, Mark, the Colts are really rolling the dice on a lot of young players and guys that have been sort of rotational guys that haven't produced to the level that they need them to starting next season. They drafted Quiddy Pay in the first round, edge player out of Michigan, but he's a rookie. They think long-term this is going to be a great pick. It's going to be a home run selection. He's going to be hopefully turns into a guy like a Robert Mathis or a Dwight Freeney that Colts fans are used to seeing. But it's 2021, and you got to play games in the immediate future. And, you know, just pass rushers coming out early – it's hard to get 10, 11, 12 sacks as rookie players. Um, so you, you look at that, you have guys like Isaac Rochelle, who they brought over from the uh, the Chargers. Al-Kadim Muhammad has been a rotational player, played about 50% of the snaps last year. They need more from Kamoko Ture, a former second-round pick from a couple years ago. He's heading into a contract year. He's been banged up the last uh, two years with a really bad ankle injury. They really need more out of him. They need more out of Ben Banigou. And they also have Dio Adangbo, who they draft in the second round out of Vanderbilt. But just like Eric Fisher, he's coming off an Achilles. So when is he going to be on the field? And when he does get on the field, he's a rookie. What can you expect production-wise? So they just need more consistency. They need more production in terms of pressures and sacks and getting after opposing quarterbacks. That, to me, is going is what's going to separate this team from a good defense to a great defense, a part of a playoff team. You know, last year they were somewhere in the 40s in terms of getting uh, getting sacks, but they would get five or six one game and then one or zero the next. They just need to be somewhere around that two to three sack neighborhood for consistency that way they can continue continuously uh, alter games and, and get in the face of quarterbacks to to help that that secondary which was picked apart by elite quarterbacks down the stretch particularly because they just didn't get enough pass rush up front all right a couple more for you matt matt taylor voice of the colts with us level of excitement when they picked up rivers versus level of excitement for the fan base and everybody involved when they made the trade to get Carson Wentz. And I got to imagine with Wentz, at least you're getting a guy who's going to be around for a few years. You knew Rivers was short-term at best. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the difference. You're, it's, it's, a, it's a 37, 38-year-old acquisition versus a 28-year-old acquisition. And, and both were met with, you know, it's, it's hard to speak for the entire fan base, but if I can just kind of paint with the broad stroke, both were met with a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, trepidation because Rivers is older and you're talking about a quarterback that's, um, you know, plays on the West Coast and he had some history there with the Colts um, in the playoffs where he took them out of the postseason and kind of running his mouth and Colts fans didn't like that. So they had to kind of get over that aspect mm-hmm. of, of Rivers because he was just, you know, in a Charger uniform for so many years. And then with Carson Wentz, it's kind of like a wait and see type of thing because he's coming off a season where, 
you know, 57% completion percentage, led the NFL in sacks taken, interceptions. So you're like, okay, how is this going to go? Um, why do the Eagles want to get rid of them to the point where they uh, took on all of that dead money? So like, there's a there's kind of cautiously optimistic um, the section of the fan base that wants to see how this goes. But again, I think everybody's a little bit optimistic because of the Frank Reich connection with both Rivers and Wentz and prior connections with the Chargers and the Eagles. Finally, Matt, uh, did you go to the 500? What was it like for the city to have such a massive crowd bring that huge event back following COVID? Oh, it was great. I did not go, but my wife went. Uh, we would normally go together, but just with with our family situation, we've got young kids. So I stayed back mm. with the young kids, watched them build up some husband equity, if you will, uh, <laughs> let, her, let her go to the race. Um, and it was great. She said she had a great time. Uh, she said it was incredibly normal, which was awesome to hear. It was 135,000 people. Uh, which sounds like a huge number, and it is. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, any any Indy 500, like that's that's a down year for a 500 because the normal um, occupancy out there in terms of fan attendance is is normally in the twos, like 230 or wow. 240. Um, so it's certainly the largest uh, sporting spectator crowd since COVID hit last March. But I mean, around here, from everything I can gather, it went off without a hitch. You know, you really haven't read stories or heard anything about, you know, COVID cases blowing up in central Indiana, which is awesome. So it's 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 kind of a return to normalcy around here. And it was great to have a huge sporting event and not not have it be all political and not have all this um, <laughs> stuff around it. You know, it's like, should we be doing this? Should we not be doing this? What are the protocols? It was just about the race. and It was about celebrating memorial day and and for what memorial day is all about and what it should be about um it was a it was a great weekend great weather here and uh, kudos to people in indiana and the, and the speedway for putting it all together gotta admit it was kind of cool to see the indy 500 back up and running it's not one of the events that i feel like i just absolutely want to see but people that have gone to it have said it doesn't matter you love sports you love events you will love 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 the indy 500 but Either way, it was a great show. Great for Matt Taylor to stop by. Appreciate Mark Vandermeer for being here. Thanks to Terod Taylor, David Cully, Camu Grugier-Hill. You hear more from him on Monday with Drew Doherty. Appreciate you guys for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great, safe, and hopefully a dry weekend. And as always, go Texans. Texans. Texans.